today was kind of a disheveling day. I get the sense from everyone that we're all really glad we're here, but we've had a hectic day. But I'm thankful that you're here. And uh, this is about halfway through the meeting, so I don't know if you're rejoicing or <laughs> thankful or whatever it might be, but I hope that this series of lessons has been helpful. I want to review just a little bit before we continue on. Whenever we first started this meeting, we were going to talk about the basics, the foundational things that we need to grow in Christ. We talked about the nature of God and how he was not like man and how God warned us, you thought I was altogether like you. And of course, that was an incorrect assumption. God is not capricious. God doesn't grow old and, and get tired and then give up. He has a, a sense of righteousness and holiness, which is constant. In him is no variation or shadow. Why? Because there's nothing brighter than him. He doesn't cast a shadow. He's the one that casts all the light. And, uh, to, and then last night, we talked about how important it was to imitate Jesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye imitators of the Lord. And how simple that seems to suggest. Well, all I have to do is imitate Jesus. He became the will of God embodied in man. And so all I have to do is imitate him. But you know something? That's, that's a difficult thing to do, especially young kids they grow up and they get a, a misconception about what that means. I remember as a child thinking, I wish I was like Jesus, where I could walk on water and I, you know, I could imagine myself just doing all the miracles of Jesus and just going, wow, that's really neat. <laughs> you know, but that's not how we're supposed to imitate Jesus. We're supposed to imitate him in character and in righteousness and in holiness. And that takes far more energy, far more thought. And yet people don't feed themselves or aren't informed by the word of God. Now, we are not, and I'm not a Bible worshiper. We don't worship the Bible. We don't sit around and burn candles to it or treat it in some, you know, I mark, you can mark in your Bible, by the way. <laughs> it's a copy. It's a translation. Make notes, write questions, get one with wide margins or whatever you need. But we talked about how last night that buying a Bible doesn't mean we have the knowledge. It's become symbolic. And many people have copies of the scriptures but don't have Bible knowledge. They haven't put the, the knowledge that's within the Bible into their hearts and in their minds. But yet that was a very prophecy in the Old Testament. In those days, they will put their word into my heart and in their minds. I will write them. So God understands. It wasn't that we possess a holy book. Like a, like a celestial rabbit's foot that if we have a Bible, we're in. It's a ticket. No, the Bible changes us as it, we think and as we meditate, as we discover more about the character of God through his commandments, through things which he forbids and the things which he encourages. We get a sense of his heart and how he designed us to behave. He didn't create us to evil for every desire God gave us. There's a legal and lawful and illegal and unlawful way to satisfy that desire. A lot of people that can't make their mind up as to how to do that. Well, we need to recognize the desire itself isn't sinful. It's how we satisfy it that can be sinful. And so we read the word of God to gain wisdom to make the right choices 
and make the right decisions in our life. I so appreciate my grandson's prayer all the time. Lord, we pray that you give us wisdom, you know, to make right decisions. And he has a mother that those decisions often have fairly immediate consequences. And so that's kind of, <laughs> it teaches us about spiritual consequences in some ways. Well, those are important things. And so we talked about how important it was to read, excuse me, and uh, study the Bible last night. We talked about how that we get to know the Word of God and how the Holy Spirit inspired the writers which wrote the words, which is what we walk by faith in. How can I know that something is confidently God's will or not without knowing the Bible? If we didn't have the Bible, we wouldn't know what God's will is. God's word informs us. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 said. I want you to know. I want you to understand, he says in those, in those uh, chapters, the will of the Lord. And so when we read the Bible, we begin, we begin to get a comprehension of that. Well, tonight we're going to assume that you understand our faith and our behavior and our character and our morality is all based on what the Word of God teaches, and we yield ourselves to that. We call ourselves follower of Christ because he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And so we find his example tells us how to find strength and how to find hope and peace and by imitating him and following in his steps. He left us an example so we can follow in his steps. How do I do that? How do I transform my character through the renewing of my mind. Well, we read the Word of God, but sometimes we need to understand that in this life, there's different aspects that we've got. We kind of segment, uh, separate out. We understand how things work a little bit. If you have your Bibles, please go to Revelation 22 and verse 9 for just a moment. Revelation 22 and verse 9. We find here, well, let's go to verse 8. Now, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. In other words, this was a spiritual being. I knew it was a spiritual being from God. The angel told me to write these things in a book and everything, and I fell down to worship this angel, but something happened. But he said to me, do not do that. For I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren and the prophets and those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Now there's something important that's going on here. If somebody was to beam in here and we all recognized that this person was not a, a regular human, but he was indeed divine, we would automatically maybe say, well, am I supposed to worship you? And John fell down, and the angel said, Get up. I'm just a servant of the Lord. Worship God. I want you to direct something toward God. Worship God. Well, we often talk about worship and worship of God. In fact, Christianity has often been defined by worship of God. A lot of people say, You're a Christian if you go to church. <coughs> well, is that the truth? Is Christianity something done in churches? Or is it something done in the regular life? Or both? Is worship limited to the assembly or not? And there's a lot of questions about worship. And so I think it's part of our primary, it's part of the fundamentals for us to recognize the difference 
between that which we offer directly to God, that which is worship in that in that collective, or we call it corporate sense, where we worship with others, like in communion. You can't have communion by yourself. The word communion means joint participation. You're doing it with something, with someone else. So there's a form of worship that involves others, and the communion does that. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, we'll get to that more in a moment. But there's also forms of worship that are very private. When you pray to God, you are performing an act of worship. You're honoring God's authority. You're requesting things of him. It's a form of worship, but it's private. It's personal. It only takes one person to do that. But we do it both in the assembly and not in the assembly of the church. We worship in both ways. Is there private worship? Is there public worship? Is there is everything worship? In Romans, the 12th chapter, I remember for a long time believing that there the Bible teaches us that we should worship God and be a holy sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or reasonable worship, service of worship, is what New American Standard says in Romans 12, one, uh, Romans 12, 1 through 4, there he's talking about worship. But is that some, is everything I do worship? You know? I remember my dad saying to me, and most of you know my father at one time, he said, God gave me the instruction, the stewardship of you children. And I'm going to have to, you know, give you some correction in, in the name of the Lord. You know, I'm going to have to do that. What father is there whom this, who loves the sons and doesn't correct him? You know, Hebrews chapter 12. And I went, man, there are times whenever I wish dad just hated me a little. I wish he didn't like me so much. <laughs> you know, please, can you just ignore me a little? I would appreciate that. You know, but I think my dad thought spankings were a form of worship. <laughs> he was going to please God. Oh, I enjoy this form of worship. No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. Is whipping your kids a form of worship? It's a form of service to God. It's keeping our duty. But is worship at just every little thing we do, whenever we do things for each other? There's a lot of questions about what is and is not worship, and I'm going to talk about that with you tonight a little bit. So let's get let's open the Word of God and see what He has to say. First passage I want you to go to is First Peter the first cha- uh, second chapter. First Peter the second chapter, where there He's talking about the Word of God. <clears throat> he's talking about the Word of God here. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. He says here, I want you to do some, have some Christian discipline. I want you to practice something personally. And he says, this is the Christian discipline. This is something that you need to do if you're going to call yourself a follower of Christ. As a babe in Christ, long for the milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to salvation, he said. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Notice he talks about this, this feeding on the word like a taste of something. Notice, coming to him as a living stone, he continues to use metaphors to try to teach his, his lesson. But notice in verse 5, you as living stones are being built up a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer 
up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this, this allusion to the Old Testament practice of worshiping through sacrifice, literal sacrifice, is he's alluding to it here. He's saying, I want you to, to, to recognize that you're being built up as a spiritual house, not a literal one, but a spiritual house to offer what? To offer spiritual sacrifices for sure. So he's saying there's something that you do that is similar to the physical sacrifice of the Old Testament. You show up and you give something back to God as a spiritual sacrifice. Now, whenever it comes to singing <laughs> and prayer to God, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, other passages tell us that God wants us to sing. And you kind of go, yeah, if God heard me, he wouldn't want that. And I try to tell people, it's not how good or the quality or even on the notes. God wants you to offer the fruit of your heart. He wants you to sing McMillan in your heart to the Lord. And he wants you to give that to him. And it's not for everybody else's benefit around you. It's for his benefit. God wants you to offer a spiritual sacrifice of song to God. And so uh, my, Reba's dad often said, I don't think God wants this sacrifice. You know, he was a really, uh, well, he's passed away, so I'm going to tell you, he was a terrible singer. So what I'm trying to, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, does that mean they shouldn't offer that? No. God's the one that says offer him spiritual songs. So God wants you to sing to him, even if it's only in the car by yourself at a stop sign. Come on, sing to God. Give him the worship of your heart. But sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord is what the scripture says. So God wants us to offer him that form of worship. I think I have to compete with the rain tonight, but I can tell we're going to. So here goes. Notice that's what God, that's one of the forms that God wants us. God wants us to pray whenever we assemble, and he wants us to pray in private. This is something we do when we pray for one another. It's also a spiritual sacrifice. But it, he uses that word sacrifice as a metaphor to give a synonym for worship. In other words, sacrifice under the Old Testament is a spiritual worship under the New Testament. So I want you to worship. I want you to worship God that way. Worship God. Give him the, the sacrifice of your heart. Well, going on down, notice, to offer up spiritual sacrifice. Going on down, notice in verse, uh, we'll finish read verse 8, verse 9. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. He's talking about this fulfillment of prophecy. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. There are some people who offer God all kinds of worship, but it isn't acceptable because they don't offer it with knowledge. They're making guesses. They may say, something's important to me, and I'm going to give this to God because it's important to me, and surely he should appreciate how much I appreciate this. You know, we tend to think Baal worship was just so horrible because people offered their children to Baal. And it was. It was a horrible form of worship. They used to heat up this metal god and offer their children on it. It's a stench, God called it. He hated Baal worship. But other people said, God's got to accept it because it was a very big investment. I, I love my children. Surely he will accept me throwing this child into the volcano or putting it in the hands of, of God. And God must accept it because it's valuable to me. Well, I'm going to tell you, God doesn't use that standard. 
of measure for acceptable worship. Yes, it may be costly to you, and that doesn't matter. God may view that as repugnant, and he does. The offering of children in the Old Testament by Baal, in Baal worship, or the, the balls as it's called in probably your translation, notice, was a horrible stench formed in the nostrils of God. He hated it. He despised it. So how can we tell what is worship? We have to go to what is written. And I'm telling you, you have to find it in the Bible. Or it's not acceptable worship. We didn't just pick singing because we liked it. I didn't just pick singing. I don't, I don't choose to worship God in song just because I like a cappella singing. God told me in his word that he wanted me to offer from my heart with the lips of praise. Lips of praise, Hebrews 12. I will offer him that. So that's what God wants. That's why we do it. If you like it, that's a side point. I'm glad you do. But that should not be why you do it. It's because you like it. Or because you value it. Or you think it's important. It's got to come from the teachings of the Word of God. The Word of God reveals it here. And so he says, notice in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes, whenever we worship God in song, we proclaim that which is excellent about God. There is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as, we, as we're going to notice in, in here in a minute, that we offer to God. Psalms, sometimes they're supplied for us from Moses and other people. Hymns, hymns are usually a song that's addressed to God, giving thanks to him or something like that. But a spiritual song can be about God. It doesn't have to be addressed to God in order for it to be accepted by God as worship. It's just a spiritual song. I can be encouraging women to love their children Husbands to love their wives. Wives to love one another. We could we could be trying to encourage sinners to come to repentance. I heard one person say, no, it's wrong to sing to sinners. I said, no, it isn't. It's a spiritual song. When I invite a sinner to repent, come repenting before the love comes. I warn you, you know, come, be, be right with God. That is perfectly fine. It's a spiritual song. It's not a hymn, but it's a song, a spiritual song. And so God left us a, quite a variety of songs that we could sing to him. And, oh, there's some beautiful songs. What? Well, never mind. I won't tell you that. There's just some really beautiful songs. Worthy is the Lamb. Is, oh, it's, that gets me every time. Uh, worthy is he who opened the seals of the book. Oh, there's some beautiful songs. Notice John 4, verse 23 and 24. But an hour is coming, and now is... When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, with spirit or in spirit. The word means, it doesn't mean in the Holy Spirit here. It doesn't even use that term. It says with spirit. It, it, the Greek is trying to say, worship God with your spirit, in your spirit, with your mind, with your heart, that which is within you. Worship God, Father, in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. What does the truth mean there? Father, spirit and truth. Spirit, truth, are they the same thing? Could be, but John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by their truth. 
thy word is truth. <laughs> if what I offer to God is in keeping with the will of God, the revealed will of God, then I'm worshiping God in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's a lot of people that offer, offer worship today that is designed to satisfy physical appetites rather than spiritually accomplish its purpose. In other words, it's just maybe has a, a good beat. I know a lot of people told me, I said, why do you use instruments of music to praise God instead of the instrument God gave you, your heart and your voice, your lips, as he says from the word of God. Why did you do that? And they said, have you heard some of us sing? We need the instruments to drown them out. Drown out all the bad singers. <laughs> you know, historically, that's been the case. There's a lot of people that says, we have an instrument because everybody's singing so bad. Well, what do you do? Substitute or get better at singing? Now, that's what we need to do. Practice singing. Sing in the car. That's where I learn a lot of songs. I hope you do too. But sing. Because then you focus on the right things when you sing while you're driving. Then you think of the words. You think of what you're really trying to say to God. And those, those are the songs we get. Notice in Acts 17, verse 24 and 25. The God who made the world and all in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. <coughs> Listen, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. I heard many, many atheists say, God is kind of self-centered. And he wants you to get together and praise him. Hey, get together and praise me. No, that's not what this is about. God wants us to remember and think and and find out what it is that he's done. Because we need to remember, we need to know. Why is the Lord's Supper weekly? Because our daily lives, we lead distracted lives anyway. How many stuff do you get do you forget because you get distracted? You may get distracted, I don't know, a whole bunch, a bunch of times a day. I know I go up and go into a room and I wonder why I went there. You know, the whole point is, we are often distracted. God is thinking of our welfare. Whenever he says, I want you to do it once a week, I can't think of a God who knows me better than that. He knows that if I don't, if I, if I don't do it every seven days, if I don't do it weekly, that I am going to be distracted and I'm going to forget and it's going to go away. And it's not going to be important. And so God wants me to worship basically to keep me where I need to be. And that's what songs often do. And that's what prayers often do. God already knows what we want before we ask. But he wants us to pray. He wants us to recognize and remember the source of all life. He wants us to look to him so that we understand our dependence upon him. Notice, he is, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. I, I, and there, I've been to a lot of different places, but I like, I like uh, Chinese food. I like, uh, I don't want to get too specific, but I really like teriyaki. But anyway, <laughs> I like stir fry and things like that. 
some of the places I go into, uh, there's a place I went into behind the counter. They have a little image and they have an orange and some other things that they offer to their God daily. And they wait, you know. I go, every time I come in here, he's not tasted it. You know? But that's the whole point. They call that worship. They offer it to God that's they know isn't going to eat it. And what, are we offering it to to a God? Are we offering stuff like that? No. Our worship is spiritual. But we need to understand the personal benefit as well as the benefit God gets out of this. What I get, what he gets is a heart that has been disciplined by worship. And I want you never to forget that phrase. Worship often is for our benefit, not his. That's the design of it, is to remind us of what it's about. Why do you remember your wife's birthday? Why do you remember anniversary? Forget it and you'll find out why. <laughs> That's the whole point. Yes, why, why do we forget it? It's because sometimes we're distracted. Well, God, that's the whole point. God doesn't want us to lose our soul. He wants us to go to heaven. He wants us to be with him. And so he made it. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. And he designed worship for our welfare. Worship, notice Perry C. Cotham, he's a writer. Many of you have read after. He said, worship is not commanded and designed for the purpose of making us feel better and meeting our social and aesthetic needs. True enough, our encounter with God and worship can give our spirits a lift and lead us to more optimistic and joyful outlook on life. On the other hand, our encounter with God may lead to a painful awareness of our sinfulness and our inadequacy. And a call to a greater commitment and self-denial may not automatically lift our spirits. Perhaps worship should not make us be, uh, as comfortable at all but so challenge us that we may more closely conform to God's standard of holiness. And yes, I fully, fully agree with that. Sometimes we need, when is it proper for the church together with sorrow and sing songs of sorrow? Sometimes whenever a brother or sister dies, yes. You can't say, well, man, I can't worship God today. You know, my heart is just not ended. I can't, think, I can't sing all the fast songs. Who decided that fast songs were the standard of acceptable worship to God? That quick. Sometimes songs of sorrow are what we find in the book of Psalms, where they regret and they're full of, of self-reflection. And sometimes it is better to go into the house of mourning than into the house of mirth. Yes, it is appropriate for us to sing a sad song sometimes together. And other times... We should not sing a happy song as a sad song. It's got to reflect its truthfulness. You know? You know? Whenever we, you know, there's, there's people who sing rejoice and sing the song, and it's like a funeral dirge. Repent. Don't do that. If it's a happy song, sing a happy song. Sing it happily. Be forced to discipline your mind to go to that place. And if it's a sad song, don't sing it like a happy one. Let's see how fast we can get through this. No. You know, God does not need our worship. We need to worship our God. Service and worship, the difference. 
Well, now we're going to study. We're going to say three words, and then we'll be done uh, right quick. So hang with me here a little bit. What people say about worship. Worship is an emotional experience which makes you feel good and gives you a spiritual high. Maybe, but is that its purpose? Worship is a, a repetitive ritual that you participate in. Feelings or understanding of what you're doing are unnecessary. You just need to repeat it. I've heard this said to people. You know, you just need to get into the habit of worship. Not You don't have to have the mind about it. Just get into the habit of it. No, that's not right. God wants you to discipline your heart. Everything you do in life is worship. We've already talked about that. Don't speak to your kids as a form of worship. You know, And other kinds of things. Those are acts of service. That's what we did. What does the Bible teach about these things? Well, let me look at a phrase that I believe you'll find helpful. Here I pulled this off the internet. It says, enter to worship, depart to serve. And I think that's really an important little phrase. I think that's helpful in a lot of ways. I think we can come together and worship as a group together, but we can serve one another even in that way. In Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, somebody turn there. I'm going to have somebody read that tonight. Has anybody got a New American Standard out there? No? Got a New King James? Ah, a New King James back there. Why don't you read Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25? It's at the back part of the 24 and 25. <laughs> and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting uh, one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, everybody knows verse 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But if we forget where in that same passage we're instructed as to what to do when we come together. Read verse 24 again. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Ah! Have you ever thought that that's one of the reasons? We are to consider one another before we assemble as to how... I can encourage you to greater service of God. Consider how to stimulate one another, New American Sanders says, to love, greater love, and good works. Have you ever thought of one another before you come to the assembly of the church going, I know this sister so-and-so, she's got five kids, she needs exhortation. We need to exert. It won't always be this way. You know, sometimes a younger woman needs to hear that. Sometimes a young man needs to hear, you know, it's going to get better. After after a while, it's going to get better. If you get develop those habits uh, uh, of getting up and going, you're going to develop a good a good kind of behavior that's going to reward you. In due season, you shall reap if you faint not. That's what the Bible says. And so we encourage one another. That is one of the things we do when we come together. I, you know, I hate it whenever congregations come together and they go, okay, here now we're the church. La, 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 la. Are we done? They say the last prayer. Oh, it's over. Let's see how fast we can get out of the driveway. Comes a race to break up. You're not, you didn't even get to talk to anybody one-on-one. That's not the way God designed the church to work. 
We're supposed to help one another. We're supposed to build up, encourage one another, and so much the more. So you see, worship is more than what we think sometimes. And that's one of the things, too. We enter to worship, yes, and we depart to serve. Let's look at something else. Here's another one. Enter to worship, depart to serve. This phrase, oftentimes it's found on a sign. Enter to worship. And whenever you leave on the other side of the sign, it says depart to serve. And I think that really gets it a lot of times. Did you know that the word for worship that's found in the scriptures, there's three different words. And more often than not, the word means serve. It's a word which suggests service. Let's look at this. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming and neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But worship you do not know. We worship that which we know for salvation is of the Jews. Now he's talking about the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament in Christ. But an hour is coming now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such to be his worshipers. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The most common Greek word translated worship is from the compound word pro Excuse me, the literal meaning is to kiss the hand toward. In other words, it's, it takes the idea of when you come into the presence of someone who has more, uh, is more excellent than you, your excellency or, or your majesty or someone who is of higher rank or a res- devo- deserves more respect than you. You show them a form of respect. And that's what this word is suggesting. It's a form of honor, a form of respect. To kiss the hand toward is literally what this means. This term reveals the outward expression of the reverence paid toward the creator in the scriptures. Or a creature, rather than receiving it as a creature, we should give it to God. Notice by kneeling or uh, prostration to do homage, to make obeisance. That's what most of your... your, uh, Dictionaries say this Greek word really means it's the most common Greek word. The second most common Greek word translated worship, it with its accompanying forms, is the Greek word sabomai. It's from its root and original meaning to step back from someone or something, to maintain a distance. Sabomai came to be used to denote an attitude of respect which was given to God's people or things. This word moved from the idea of respect to denote religious veneration, including acts of worship, Romans 1.25. The noun form denotes the object of worship is the object of worship is to be revered and thus honored in some way. In the New Testament, Sabomai is always associated with deity and involves a deep reverence for the object of worship. In other words, in both of these things, there's something going on in the mind with a view to who we're in the presence of, and it's of God. And we honor that, or we step back. We don't try to claim equal footing or equal uh, an equal position with this person. That's what this is meaning, a form of respect or regard for someone's position to us. There's a third word translated in the form of worship, in the Greek word lat, latuo. This word was rarely translated worship in the King James Version, four out of 21 in the New American Standard. The root meaning of the word is to service, rendered for hire. 
than any service or, or many ministration. The service of God is used for the carrying out of religious duties by human beings. Latreo is more often translated to serve than by other terms. Its primary usage related to the worship centers upon a service rendered to someone. This religious service may also include that referred to as false gods. Because worship is a part of a religious service, carries the idea of worship in some context. In other words, this word sometimes it's used whenever God says, hey, listen, give honor to whom honor is due. And then he uses the term talking about parents, to honor your parents. Well, that doesn't mean, you mean I got to worship mom and dad? No. It means I do have to regard them as having some position higher than me. I'm supposed to respect that in some way. And so to serve, whenever we serve someone, whenever we serve them in this world, we often are regarding their authority with us. They have a position. They told us what to do about something. A way to explain the entire nuance with Latreo is its forms would be used in the following. All worship may be said to be a vital part of our service to God, but not all of our service to God is worship. In other words, I, I may serve God by serving you, but I'm not worshiping you. I'm serving you. And in so doing, I'm serving him. I'm serving him. Whenever I'm a good mom, when I'm a good dad, when I'm a good child and respect my parents, when I'm doing things, when I'm serving the church, when I'm serving one another, when I'm doing those kinds of things, whenever we serve one another, we are performing an act which is reference to God. I'm trying to please him. I serve one another as unto the Lord. I, as a servant of this person, have made certain commitments, certain agreements, certain morality, and I'm going to keep that in order to honor God. But in reality, the, what it looks like is I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to do what I was asked to do. Well, somebody might say, well, that's a form of worship. Well, you know, I want you to worship God. I want you to write 15 times, I will love the Lord. Well, that may be a, a ritual, but it's not true worship. But it is service. And so what I want to say to you is, is that worship is part of service. It's a form of service. But not all service is a form of worship. Let me, let me say that again. All worship is service. Let's go to the services of the church. Well, yeah, we come and we worship God. We have services. And that is giving God worship. All worship is service, but not all service is worship. Whenever I'm a good dad, when I'm a good mom, whenever I serve the Lord in that way, whenever I serve him by serving you, those are forms of service to God, but they're not forms of worship. They're not forms of worship directly, like prayer and like singing. So there are three different words, and here they are if you want to make note of the Strong's numbers of them for your own personal study, and they each have a different kind of connotation. One of them is render service to God. The other one has a regard making sure God is the object of our worship. And the third one is just a form of service. Well, worship requires the right object. 
The devil wanted Jesus to worship him. But Jesus said it was only right to worship God. No, I'm not going to fall down. I'm not going to fall down and worship you. The word for worship means to kiss or fawn, crouch, literally prostrate oneself to do homage. Now, but that's not what, that's what Satan was asking Jesus to do. He was keeping Satan's word. He was, he was being tested by him, but he wasn't. He wasn't worshiping Satan. Whenever uh, people are asked to do things to, to keep God's word, we serve him. But that's not always a form of worship. Whenever a, a dad spanks his child, he may even do that serving as a good parent. But the spanking itself is not an act of worship. So it's an act shown to men of superior rank. That's what we do to God. Worship requires the right object. We're not to worship the creation, sun, moon, and stars, or earth, but the creator. We are not to worship men like the Dalai Lama. Peter refused to worship Cornelius in the Greek there. We're not to worship idols, people, things, or money. Anything that puts itself between you and God and that you do it because it's more important to you than worship, that becomes an idol. That that, that becomes an improper thing. We're not to worship false god or goddesses, Zeus or Hermes. Did you know that early persecution of the church often was because of what they called emperor worship? And many Christians died because they wouldn't do what you might call a secular act. Before they went in to buy or sell or into the Roman circus or into other kinds of things, they were told to come up and say, Caesar is Lord pinch some incense, throw it on a fire, and then they could do it. They were giving a certificate, or they were given entrance to buy and sell, and everything like that. It's very simple. We could say, oh man, surely Christians can do that. They don't have to do it with sincerity. All they have to do is pinch it, say Caesar is Lord, throw it on a fire, and everything's fine. More Christians died because they refused to do that because it showed a form of worship to Caesar as God and they would not do that and they would, Jesus told them pay, t- pay tax to whom taxes due yeah got that coin out whose figures on it pay your tax but he didn't tell them to ever worship Caesar as Lord and many Christians died for that now today there are many Christians who are to do something, and, and the world doesn't expect it to be sincere. All you got to say is Satan is Lord, or all you got to do is say something else inappropriate. Can't you just do that? No. That's what Christians. Christians are not supposed to do these things. You know, I've had many Christians ask me about martial arts or exercise yoga. And they said to me, well, now, is that a form of worship? It started out as a form of worship. And I say, well, do they require you to give honor to, you know, this deity or something like that? They go, well, not my class, but I've heard from some other people they are really into it, you know. <laughs> well, that's a critical point. You know, if you take, if you take martial arts because you like to exercise, more power to you. But if you have to show honor to a deity, 
perhaps you should reconsider. And the same thing is true with yoga. Many like to practice yoga. In fact, Lonnie Nichols, my fellow friend in the body of Christ there, he will hurt himself doing yoga. I said, what did you do this time? He says, oh, shut up. And he'll get together and stretch and everything else. I said, oh, you've been worshiping yoga again. He goes, no, I'm not. It's just absolutely. Well, see, now that's what I'm saying. It is different. If all you view it is, but if your friends think otherwise, perhaps you need to reconsider. That's what the teaching of 1 Corinthians 10, and I'm not going to go into that. But he says, eat whatever sold in the shambles without asking questions. But if they say this is meat offered to idols, don't eat, not for your conscience sake, but for theirs. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, if somebody tells you that certain behavior has religious connotations, you better back away from it. That's something that young Christians need not get caught up in. You can exercise and you can do different things, but not if it's done for religious reasons. Because that is a false form of worship, and it's a false god. And you need to be concer- concerned and care about that. We are not to worship angels specifically in the scriptures. Angels are are. I, now I'm going to skip a bunch of, of slides here. I I try to go into the Trinity here and and explain how God is not the Father. I mean, is not the Son, but the Father. But God is the Son and the Father, the Holy Spirit, and how they're all one because they're all deity. And that's the focus of who we're supposed to worship. We don't understand all that mystery of how they can all be one. But they are. The Bible says they are. If I was to ask you to explain to me a unicorn, what would you do? Well, you would say, well... Let's talk about things that I am familiar with to explain something that I'm not familiar with. And so a unicorn is like a horse with a horn. Unless it's a little girl's one. Never mind. The whole point I'm getting at is we, we, in order to communicate, have to use what we know in this world to talk about things that we don't know. And there's a reason why we don't understand how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit can be one. Because within, every individual has a distinction from another individual. But in the Godhead, there is a difference. There is a difference. And yet they are identical. They all share the same mind, the same morals, the same ethics. There is no distinction between the way their thoughts are, the way their hearts are, and I I can't understand it. But the Bible says that's the way it is. They are in total unity. Total. And that's amazing to me. But we worship God. The only the God of heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit, are worthy of worship. That's what these verses say. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Let's read them together. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Well, let's read verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another 
That the word to one another there is talking about the assembly of the church too, by the way. In song, hymns, and spiritual song, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So here we're told to honor the Father in the name of Jesus Christ or by the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's amazing to me. That's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. Now notice in Revelation 22, verse 8 and 9, which we've already read, worship God. Revelation 19 and verse 10, notice what it says here. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, in this passage, God, the Father, uh, God is the one that's to be worshipped. But now look at these passages. In Matthew 2 and verse 11, write them down. Matthew 2 verse 11, Mark 5 verse 6. We're going to read Luke 24 and verse 52. Go to Luke 24. Luke 24. Verse 52. Well, let's go verse 50. And he led them out as far... Talking about Jesus is with them. He rose from the dead the third day. Notice... He said to them, these are words I spoke to you while I was still with you. Verse 44, this is talking about Jesus. And now in verse 15, he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Now who's the context? Who did they worship? They worshiped Jesus, didn't they? Yes, they did on this occasion. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 13. And verse 14. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In this passage, all three of the Godhead are named and are, and are mentioned as co-equal in worship and in the regard to how we're supposed to greet, uh, greet them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and all the saints greet you. In this passage, all three of these are mentioned, and all three are equal in position. So, notice, the grace of the Lord, communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Worship requires, um, excuse me, worship requires the right spirit. The command is to love God with all of our being. The 3,000 Jews who were converted to Christ were enthusiastically involved in worship. Paul warned the brethren in Corinth that they did not partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. They were guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, whenever I worship God, I worship the Father in Jesus Christ's name. Whenever I pray, I pray in Jesus Christ's name to the Father with the help of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, what that means is God doesn't make us groan so that we can communicate with God. It says the Holy Spirit does something on our behalf to the Father with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, I don't know what they are, because I can't utter them. I don't know what he may interpret for God the Father. 
But the Bible says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. I'm glad that he does. Because sometimes I don't know what to say. Sometimes we don't know what to say. We don't know how to pray as we ought. And all we can do is go before God and go, God, you know. And I'm glad that the Holy Spirit takes over and says what he's trying to say is he's having a tough time communicating today. And I'm so glad the Holy Spirit intercedes for me. I don't know how it all works. But I know it's through Jesus Christ to God the Father. I'm thankful for that. And sometimes I don't know what to say. But sometimes I just open up my heart and I say, Lord, thank you. Please help. In Jesus' name. And that's all you can do. And yet it's acceptable to God. I want you to know that's wonderful to be able to worship God personally at home and in the worship of the church. And sing to God personally. Is any merry? Let him sing. That doesn't say in the service of the church. It says, is any merry? Practice singing to God in your car. Or singing. Singing and prayer and giving benevolence is something we do and give in the assembly of the church and also personally. We help out with one another. But there's two things that are limited to the assembly. The communion and the collection. God says, 1 Corinthians 16, I'm just going to give you some, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, as I gave order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. This was an order given to churches, not individuals. The church has the responsibility to take up a collection on the first day of the week. And 2 Corinthians says the first day of every week. In the Greek there, it's kata sabaton, which means the first day of every week. God wants the church to take up a collection. And I give personally into that. I personally am involved in that worship by giving of my means to God. That is a form of worship when I give in the collection. So there's two things limited to the assembly of the church. The communion, whenever he says... This is something you do together. Read 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and also chapter 11, verse 23, through the end of the chapter. Communion is something we do there. But is, is that fellowship, all, is it only limited, is the only fellowship we have as a church in the assembly of the church? No. We invite people over for, you know, sandwiches and stuff like that all, all the time. We bear one another's burdens. We help them out. We can do those kinds of things privately, too. But there's corporate worship, and there's individual worship. And there's five things that we do in the assembly of the church. We sing, we pray, we teach, with 1 Corinthians 14, men only doing the teaching, teaching the word of God. We're supposed to preach the word, not just preach. Preach the word of God. That's my responsibility, is to preach to you the word. I'm not supposed to give you my think-sos. I'm supposed to tell you what the word says. And then also, we have on Lord's Day, we have the collection that God ordered churches to take up a collection the verse every week, and also the communion, which is supposed to be done whenever the whole church become together into one place. It says there in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter. And it's done. It was established during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that's why we got an unleavened loaf, of which we who are many all partake of one, for we're all partakers of that one loaf. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, we all drink of one cup, which the Lord drank from it, gave it to them, and they all drink from it. Mark 14 and verse 23. 
Now there's people that do it for convenience, all kinds of other things, but the Lord told us how to do it in memory of Jesus Christ, and that's what we do. That's how we worship God when we assemble together. We come together and worship, but our heart is not in it. That worship is vain. The Bible says, in vain do they worship me. Worship must be done in truth. We've already talked about that. Sing, pray, psalms. Therefore, we do not pray or enter through dead relatives. We don't add instruments to worship. We don't have a raffle garage sale to raise funds for the church. We don't preach for the purpose of making people feel good or what they want to hear, but then what they need to hear for their spiritual good. Whatever we do in worship, we must have book, chapter, verse where we practice because we want to please God. Everything we do is not worship. There's a difference between worship and service. We gather together to honor God in worship, which can, cannot be done in isolation or by observing nature or when we're fulfilling responsibilities, our jobs, our spouse, our children, or the needy. Notice, there's something we do together. We render service to God when we obey him in our everyday lives, in our words, and in our deeds. Part of our service to God is our worship is directed to him, but all service is not worship. Please look at two last illustrations, and I'll try not hamper this. Delmer, if he was here, he would tell me not to repeat myself. But listen, <laughs> here, let's look at it this way. All of that is service to God. Our job, our rest, others, family, sleeping, but I don't sleep for Jesus. I sleep because I sleep. And that's just, now hopefully I re rejuvenate myself to get up and serve the Lord better than they say. But worship is a part of that. But we spend our leisure time. I don't want to go into all that. Okay, here. There's life, which is everything. Then of that, there is service to God. Within the confines of service is worship. And then within worship is congregational worship. That's a more focused, that's a specific thing. And so everything we do is not worship. There's a difference between worship and service. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I will, and the lad will go over there, and we will worship, and we will return to you. Abraham was serving God with his whole life, but he said, no, there's a certain form of worship that I'm not doing now that I'm going to be doing. I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to worship, and then when I'm done, I'm going to come back. And so that's what we do. We come sometimes to assemble or corporate worship, but that's not all that we do for God. When we live for him, when we privately worship, we do that as well. We're done. Yearly to worship. Okay. I've got it. All worship is service, but not all service is worship. Oh. Okay, I'm done. I can keep going here. Uh, be a true worshiper of God. You must have heard the gospel, believe it, made a decision to stop sinning, start obeying, submit to baptism, obedience to Christ. Have you done these things from the heart? Today, you will truly worship God in spirit truth. Notice this last, last picture here. Notice. I love your music at your church. Who's this guy they keep singing about? No idea, but we've sung about him for years. Uh, that can happen in some churches. Some churches are designed as human organizations. They're human. They're, they're just for, they're a human organization for making your life, your physical life better. But that's not the Lord's church. In here, we worship God. Our focus is on Him. We learn from Him how to go out and serve. Come and worship, go and serve, and remember to privately worship when you go to this world, uh, back in life.
I hope this is helpful to you in some way. Tonight, if you need to obey the Lord, why don't you come and obey Him? We want we, This church didn't get together and vote on, on how to do that. You know what? I want to say one thing here. Listen up. I am so glad this church does not represent any of my personal likes or dislikes. For you guys who know me, you guys know I like rock music and country music. I've grown to like country music. I didn't think I would, but I did. You know, I like those kinds of things. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here whether you like it or not. I'm here to worship God because he's the one who saved me. He's the one I will stand before on the day of judgment. I'm not going to stand before the church on the day of judgment. I'm going to stand before the Lord, and he will open his word, and I will be judged to the things written the word of God. And so I need to find out who's worshiping God in spirit and truth. I need to find out how to please him and how to serve him in my life. And that's what this is all about. So that Jesus, who they don't know about some places, that's what this church is all about. And I'm glad it doesn't reflect any of my preferences. Everything that's done here is done by the authority of the Word of God. And that's the only way that I want to serve Him. And I want to worship Him. It's only as revealed in His Word. I hope that's helpful to you. Come while we stand and sing.